Welcome to the Just Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, I've got Becca Kingsbury. Becca, thanks for doing this. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I think you might have one of the most fun business names of anybody we've had on the show. Can you talk? tell us what the name is and tell us what you guys do? Absolutely. So um, we're called Dingus and Zazzy. Not kidding. That is our legal name. We had to get in a bit of an argument to get that legalized in our province, but we're Dingus and Zazzy. We're actually named after a couple of uh, my business partner's cats, um, hence the cat logo. Uh, and we are an unlimited flat rate marketing subscription that companies can subscribe to month to month, contract free for less than the cost of a full-time employee. So before we talked, I, I mentioned a lot of times we have very large businesses on the show. But uh, I really thought it would be fun to, ha to have you on the show and talk about just the rapid growth. Like, what, what percent growth have you had just like since 2020, let's say? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, we saw 1,800% growth in our first year, which is absolutely insane. I was one of the originals here. And um, it started out there was just four of us in a basement um, in northern Canada just doing our best and seeing this concept of a marketing subscription would even work. Um, a year later, yeah, 1,800% growth, and we're now at half a million MRR and just continuing to just absolutely skyrocket, and we're only 18 months in, which is really crazy. As a former art school dropout, I've got a lot of friends who own marketing companies, right? Absolutely. And uh, I don't know any of them that did 18%, 1,800% growth, 6 million in recurring revenue, growing quickly, you know, annually. Um, when you think about what you guys have done different that the industry typically doesn't do, can you start to go through some of those things? Absolutely, because we are the poster child for all of those. <laughs> um, I made the joke uh, at a conference a couple weeks ago that if the University of Saskatchewan found out what I did for a living, they'd come and they take away my degrees because we break every single business school law out there. Um, but one of our biggest mantras from day one was, there's no such thing as a bad idea if an idea actually hasn't been tested. So even if something sounds absolutely insane, we try it just to see because we, we're not going to go forth and just discount an idea without any validation. So we tried the dumbest things in the book. And honestly, we've fallen on our face so many times. But our business model is the perfect starting example. An unlimited model, an unlimited subscription model for a labor-intensive service doesn't make any sense at all. Um, like you talk to like prospective investors, like we've made friends with some VC firms and whatnot. We haven't taken their funding, but you know, you get to know these people and they're like, but, but how that doesn't make sense. How do you truly offer unlimited marketing? Our business model itself, it's a bad idea, but it works because we serve such a unique niche in the market that just serendipity, it worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, but it kind of works like a gym membership, if I'm being honest, um, you know, the regular gym out there, they're not making money off that gym bro that comes in twice a day, seven days a week, using up resources and equipment. They're making money off of other people who come into the gym way, way less frequently. And honestly, our services work the same. Maybe we have some clients that we're not necessarily profitable on, but I don't care. I'm not upping their prices. They're staying forever if they'll keep me um, because they're our best spokes. Those people who literally use Unlimited to the fullest extent are our best people. Um, so to start off with, that was the one unconventional thing. A few things we've also done that just absolutely break business school rule. Um, once a client signs up, they're grandfathered into that price for forever, as long as they stay. So um, our top tier package right now, it's $8,000 USD a month. We have people paying $500 a month. 
for the exact same package because they've been with us so long and that's not going anywhere. So often um, the marketing world struggles so much with repeat business. You know, they get money for this project or, you know, they maybe they've got a couple of good clients that give them the recurring work and, you know, the agency is kind of a, it's almost like a slight extension of a couple of different businesses and then one-off work a bunch of times for people that never come back or, you know, they come back for one little thing, you know, every three and a half years or, right? Um, can you talk about like genuinely embra embracing the software as a service mindset, even though it's essentially labor as a service? Absolutely. No, because trust me, like, like I've been to a bunch of SAF conferences when they're like, you're not SAS. And I'm like, yeah, but we're kind of ish in that category. I don't know. <laughs> so the whole thing started with actually a former company. Um, my business partner and the CEO, John, he had a different company, a very, very different uh, industry. And he was exhausted with seeking you know, a graphic design freelancer for this, a web freelancer for this, a copy freelancer for this. Freelancers are great and they're super helpful and they absolutely have their place in the market. But his company scaled to the point that him as a CEO dealing with all these freelancers who didn't communicate with one another, it became too much of a drain on his time. He wanted to be able to talk to one individual and get all of his marketing done in one go. But at that same time, it's very challenging and there are unicorns like this out there, but it's very challenging to find that one internal marketing person who is a fabulous web developer and they can web design and they can graphic design and they're a kick-ass copywriter. Um, it's really hard to find one person who is that magical. So he knew that hiring internally wasn't the option either. So instead he's like, this is what I want to exist for my other companies. Let's build it and see if we can scale it. And the beauty is because we're unlimited, our clients aren't actually able to think or hum and haw. You know, do I really need to get email signatures for my new employees? Do I really need them to have business cards? They're paying for an unlimited work. So they just have unlimited, untapped access to what they actually need for their business without having to hum and haw under the dollars and cents. So honestly, I can see this model extending into other services long term. If somebody out there opens a unlimited flat rate subscription legal firm, accounting firm, finance firm, please call me because I would sign up in a heartbeat. There's one thing to invent it and then there's another thing to get people to find out about it. And you know the like the the cliches about like the shoemaker's kids don't have good shoes, right? Uh, in my experience, I, I love the marketing world. Tons of my friends in there. Our consulting firms had multiple marketing company CEOs as clients who were doing, you know, doing in the millions, and their website hasn't been updated for four and a half years, or you know, like, and they're they they like get a hundred million views for their client social media, and they don't uh, they haven't posted in their social media all year. So uh, you guys have done great at not only creating a product, but getting the word out about it. What are some of the lessons you've learned in getting people to find out? I love that question. I will say we are a bit like doctors who smoke. If you creep our social media, it's mostly bad gifts and pictures of the office cats because we don't put energy into it. Um, but that being said, um, our sales team has basically had full reign to come up with any idea possible. In fact, our whole team does. I actually provide cash bonuses. If, if an employee comes to me with an idea and we implement it, because I don't care what role you're in. If you are an amazing graphic designer and you come to me with a solution for sales, I'm going to try it. But that being said, we just wanted to be different and we want to keep ourselves entertained. If I'm being honest, our whole team has ADHD. We're all really short attention spans. We wanted to not be bored while trying to like cold call. So we did a few really interesting things to get that kind of growth. Um, one of the big ones, and it sounds antiquated, but cold email. 
it actually did work for us. We have this amazing cold email partner out in Bulgaria called Hypergen, who like we were doing cold email ourselves, but we weren't experts at it. We outsourced it to them and they just fill my sales guys calendars all day long. It's amazing. Uh, so finding the right partners and outsourcing the things, you know, you're not superior at was worth it for us 100%. And then once we're in those calls, we want to find ways to actually stand out because we've all been pitched and a lot of pitches are, let's be honest, either kind of boring or you're just taking it to be polite or whatever. We wanted ours to be actually memorable. We set up a, um, puppets, a puppet show stage and had our sales guys doing the pitch with puppets. Um, they turned the entire pitch into a sea shanty and would sing live sea shanties as their pitch. Um, we mailed people view masters, like the old school click, click photo things for the younger people on this case, uh, call who don't know what those are. Um, we mailed out view masters that had our pitch deck in them. Basically, any weird idea we could do, we just didn't want to do the standard. We even tried cold faxing, actually. Um, and believe it or not, we booked some meetings off of it. Uh, we sent out 44,000 faxes in September to unsuspecting fax machine owners in Canada. And the copy was something to the effect of, hey, does anybody out there still use a fax machine? <laughs> And also, this is who we are. But we actually booked meetings off of sending faxes because it was one of the silliest ideas we could come up with. So honestly, just trying anything to be weird and different has been our mantra. And it's it's genuinely worked for us. It, it doesn't hurt that unlike the, in my experience, the fuzzy messaging for most agencies on, we do this great stuff, call us for a price. You mm -hmm. know, like being concrete. Um, are you familiar with uh, the book Built to Sell? Yes, I've read it. It's amazing. Yeah, I feel like you... So anybody who hasn't read it, it's basically about a guy with a marketing agency doing a million bucks a year, uh, goes to his mentor to say, like, I think I'm, I'm thinking about selling. And his mentor says, like, well, basically, your company's worthless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and he encourages them, create packages, create concrete packages, and hire sales reps that can sell a package. Quit, quit having your services only sellable by the CEO, which is surprising for marketing agencies that do single digits even double digits where it's like no deals get closed without the actual founder in the room you know like it's that's really surprising right um so when you think about tips for people who maybe have been in businesses where the answer was more like it depends and now they need to package it and now they need to to train a sales team right who probably don't know how to work adobe illustrator or premiere or something like that um do you, do you have any tips for other owners out there who are thinking like, ah, people are telling me I should package it. Okay, if I finally package it, how do I train my sales reps? Because, you know, it's complex what we do. So how do we, how do I get a sales rep who isn't an expert in our space to understand it? Absolutely. Um, first thing, and this is, I'm ripping this straight from uh, Built to Sell. You need at least two salespeople. Do not just have one. Salespeople are inherently competitive. We had just one for a while and then we built, built to sell. And I was like, holy man, we're doing this wrong. Hired a second guy and now we're at four because they compete off of each other. Uh, they're inherently competitive, but also most people who are in sales, they're speaking for a living. They're pretty social individuals. So you need at least two salespeople so that you have the camaraderie, but also the competitiveness. Trust me, it, it's worth the cost of the extra labor. But that being said, when you're looking to productize a service, um, we had a few things we did that worked well for us. Um, one was, to be honest, we our initial clients, and a lot like a lot of others, are, were like friends or businesses we already knew that were like, hey, I want you to try this, and I want you to give me 
shameless feedback at all times. Let me know it's working. Let me know it's not working. And through doing that process slowly but surely, we learned a lot of different things about our business. One of which is what services we were lacking in that we needed to add into our offerings. Um, something we did learn the hard way, don't add three new offerings in one week. You're going to go bananas. Please go slower than that. But we found out just by talking to our clients because they were like, hey, we have all these cool products that you guys are marketing for us, but our photos suck. Where can we go get a photographer to get photos of our products? And we're like, we'll hire a photographer. I don't know. Let's just get a photographer on staff and have that as one of our offerings, I guess. Why not? Or like one that we offered uh, for, especially in Canadian markets, was people like, I wish my stuff was in French too. Because legally in a lot of industries, it has to be in Canada. So we're like, okay, let's just hire a couple of French copywriters. So client feedback was everything for us in creating the model, but then evolving the model as well. And we actually, to this day, call every single client every single month to touch base and get that feedback. I don't care if we have 10,000 clients down the line. Are we still going to have that team calling in and touching base? Because they think it's so key. And then honestly, pricing. Um, we, like I mentioned earlier, we started at $500 a month for unlimited marketing. Guess what? There's not really a profit margin there, but we tried it. We had to start somewhere. And then slowly but surely, we just hiked it a little bit more every few months just to see like, how is this going? Does this make sense? Is this profitable? Is it logical? Are people still signing? But because we love our old school clients, we don't ever change a client's uh, package price, which is good in two ways. One, they stick around forever and they become your cheerleaders. And two, they stick around forever because they're like, holy man, I'm paying $500 a month. I'm not going anywhere. So I know I can depend on that line on my balance sheet for forever, which is absolutely fabulous. Uh, I'm going to switch gears. So I, you know, I, I'm in the lovely land of good snowmobile snowboarding outside of Park City, Utah. But uh, I went to elementary school about, I don't know, 45 minutes away from where you live in Alberta in Sherwood Park on the, on the uh, east of Edmonton. And I did like seeing some of your social media with sporting the Oilers jerseys. I, I uh, was in elementary school during the Gretzky years, so that was like, that was like the time, right? Uh, I'm interested. Any advantages that you think you guys have um, being from Alberta? Really good question. Um, when it comes to like tax breaks for small business, um, my partner's original companies were based out of Ontario, Quebec. And we learned that Alberta was better for small business in that way. But also, we, we love the people out here. Like, there's such a great culture of hardworking, amazing human beings here that we've gotten to try every single industry out there because there's such a wide variety here in Edmonton. You've got a crazy bananas art scene. So we got to learn how we work in that kind of environment. Then you have this epic trade scene as well. So we got, you know, we do marketing for plumbers and oil, gas, oil and gas companies, but then we're also doing it for performers and artists and writers. So there's just such a huge variety. And honestly, it was just a weird, it was a coincidence that we ended up in Alberta, but I don't see us moving anywhere else in Canada anytime soon, except for when it's minus 30 and I think about packing my bags every single day. Uh, so one thing I'll tell you that I think is probably an advantage, especially because you guys have decided to stand out. You've decided to be quirky and not blend in with the business professional crowd, right? Um, so my wife's from California and I moved her up to Calgary for years. And she is of the conclusion that Canadians are just funnier. She's like, she's like, Canadians have such a high priority on humor. And she's like, it's actually great. Like they're not, they're not quite as ambitious all the time. And like the US has some advantage and advantages in some ways, but she's like, 
Canadians are really, really worried about having a good time. And then it's like infectious and contagious. So that's, I love that. that's one that I would guess. Oh my gosh. Considering everything else we've already talked about, like putting on puppet shows, absolutely. That's so us. I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, so one other thing I want to give you guys um, some credit for uh, was your kind offer before the show um, that you guys do free work for nonprofits. Can you talk about your program? Absolutely. So uh, at the rate that we're scaling, we figured out that one of our biggest roadblocks was training people fast enough to keep up with demand because we have so many fabulous applicants. We have so many fabulous people, but training people fast enough to keep up with the demand of our clients was our biggest struggle. And we're like, okay, how do we bulk train? How do we train faster, more effectively, all that other stuff? So we decided to start a secondary extension of the company. We call it Dingus Academy. Dingus Academy is where all of our newer people work. So if you um, were to become a client of ours, we work with, we pick 10 nonprofits twice a year and they get six months worth of free work from us on the condition that they know they're working with a trainee. So we hope they'll be a little bit kind if the odd typo slips through. We're going to do, we keep our standards just as aggressively high. We have senior leadership from Dingus, Akat, Dingus and Zazie overseeing it, proofing everything before it goes out. But we offer free, free work and opportunity for them to just be a little bit kinder because they know they're working with a trainee. So it's a great win for us. We just had our first grad group of trainees graduate a couple weeks ago. Our second class of trainees are rocking and rolling, overseen by one of our senior partners, Erica Cleland, who is absolutely crushing it at developing this new business model on the fly. Um, but yeah, it's so we're always looking for nonprofits for that next class of trainees to come in. Our thought is you guys are doing us a favor by being kind and letting our trainees learn in a safe environment. And we get to give you some awesome marketing work in return. Still on that completely unlimited basis of whatever the heck you want, we're going to create it for you. Um, we keep the same standards of hiring for our artists, our designers, our copywriters. Only difference is they're a tiny bit newer to our company. Well, I appreciate the offer at, for our charity, Child Rescue. We're totally going to take you up and apply and, and see if we get selected. Uh, that's so generous of you to offer it to us. Um, so I'm interested in this thought process. Um, when you think about 1,800% growth in a year, I mean, there's... That creates a lot of problems, right? And so um, what are some of the lessons of scaling that, that maybe you didn't expect? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question because, oh, we, we try everything. Um, first thing we learned is can't scale in person in northern Canada. There's not enough people because we tried our darndest to scale. And we, our biggest, I think we had 50-some people working out of our physical office in Edmonton. But trying to find enough people in a small city was too limiting. So we said, okay, let's go province-wide. We still couldn't get enough applicants. Let's go Canada-wide. Still not enough applicants. And then I don't know why it took us so long to get there, but we're like, why are we narrowing ourselves down based on postal code? We should be discriminating based on awesomeness. Are you fabulous? Are you going to fit in? Are you the right person for the job? Not based on what is your postal code. So one of the best things we did was uh, open it up and say, I don't care where you live just be cool and want to work for us and want to work hard. Uh, the only caveat we have, and this one's been a huge lifesaver for us, our entire team works nine to five MST. Meaning if you want to pack up your bags and you want to go live on a beach in Mexico for six months of the year, I don't blame you. Just log on nine to five MST and work from the beach. Um, so getting the heck out of narrowing our limitations in any way, shape or form was a very big deal for us. Um, Oh my gosh, 
when it comes to scaling, other things we learned were like, do better at hiring. We learned a lot of lessons and at first, like we hired, we thought we were doing the right thing in how we made our hiring decisions. And I, if I could go back and shake myself, I would, uh, because we've completely rebuilt our entire hiring strategy to make it scalable. One thing we did, and we really debated internally, we're like, we're not big enough to need this, but we hired a full-time internal recruiter who knows everything about our culture, everything about our company, and her whole job is just get people in the door. She finds them, she vets them, she does their first interview, she takes them through the entire testing process, which was another game changer for us, and then just hands us pre-vetted candidates on a plate. So we have a wait list for every single role, meaning if I get a sudden influx of graphic design uh, prospects for our client list, I have 12 graphic designers being like, me next, please, let's go. Um, so having that backlog and that full-time recruiter to make sure we're never short-staffed, absolutely fabulous. Uh, we also learned that there's two key things that make a candidate so much better. Uh, one being we skill test every single role. We always skill test our more technical roles. You know, if you're a web developer, you actually need to know how to do that skill. But we also now skill test for that project management, which we wrote the tests and it helps because we actually can tell now by external test, are you an organized individual? Can you clearly communicate your thoughts? Are you well-spoken? Uh, and then we also personality test every single employee. Um, and that's honestly the biggest thing we've done. It's not cheap to get a personality test set up for your company, but I'd pay it again in a heartbeat because we now know using scientific metrics, are they the right fit culturally? Do they have the skills we're looking for? Do they have the personality we're looking for? And if not, what are other roles in our company that they're better suited to? If you're a super type A, super organized, super social person, you'd probably make an amazing project manager for us. But if you are a bit more withdrawn, if you're a bit more introverted, if you don't like talking to people all day, maybe project management isn't the right role for you, but maybe you could go work on this team or that team. So having some scientific data and some testing to back up every single hire we make has made our staff turnover absolutely plummet. So we have the right person in the right job with the right culture fit without any guesswork. So let's talk about that for one second. In your mind, what, what makes a great project manager and what are ones that were uh, lessons you had to learn from? So um, one, actually getting scientific proof in a test that like, you know, they are an organized individual. They are a person who can communicate their thoughts clearly and be logical and organized. I think those are the most important things because before we didn't know how to test that. Um, so something we did implement back in those pre-testing days that we have stuck with is we do a pay, we do a trial with our new employees. So if I'm looking for a new project manager and you pass the tests, the next step is I actually pair you with an existing project manager who shows you the steps, shows you their day to day, because we've all started a new job where you're like, I'm not really sure. Am I going to like the vibe? Am I going to like the people? Am I going to like the actual work? That's no fun. So instead, our project manager prospect actually get to come in and see it live, work with somebody in that same role. And it doesn't have to be in person. If they're a remote, if they're in a different country or province than the person they're training with, that's cool. But come in for a half day, come in for a day and actually experience it. Um, but we project managers, like, they just have to be turbo organized because their job is organizing everything for their client. They're there to make their client's job easier. They're basically a personal assistant in marketing. Uh, so they need to just be on top of it. They need to be super duper organized, super duper communicative. And they need to be able to roll up the, the punches a little bit because 
we actually have one very strict rule that is we only work with nice clients. We think there's no room for verbal abuse or anything like that in the workplace, especially like in any circumstance, but including between client and marketing company. But that being said, sometimes a 911 happens. Maybe I forgot to let my marketing person know, oh, shoot, I have this new campaign launching Friday. I forgot to tell you guys about it. I need A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, so we need somebody who's also going to be flexible and be able to be like, hey, here's how we're going to make this work. Here's where we're going to move things around. We're going to adjust priorities. So that flexibility and while being organized is just it's so important. And then just those killer people skills because our project managers talk with their clients every single business day. Because I never want you to wake up one day and be like, what the heck did Diggis and Zazzy do with my time last week? Because we're telling you aggressively every single day. Here's what we accomplished. Here's a wrap-up email. Here's what's going on. So everything that makes basically a great personal assistant, a great head of marketing, a great project manager all rolled into one. Uh, that's such good advice because it, it makes me think. So for our, for this media company where we're making, like we're kind of like at the really high end of the market making shows for a CEO or something, right? And as you're, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about like, our project managers and thinking, um, I don't know that we've been as scientific as you. Like, I think that that's like such great advice. You know? um, and I especially like the reporting back of like, I think about all the different services we've hired at our investment funds, at our different businesses. And like, we would have loved ongoing updates of like, you know, we paid lawyers. We paid lawyers. I think we added it up, my brother and I. Uh, and my partner, John, I think we paid somewhere between a million and a half and two million dollars in legal fees just for because the investment business is just legal heavy. Right. There's so many times that I was like, it'd be great to know, like how we're doing on that thirty thousand dollar offering document. Like how far along are you? What happened today? You know, like. Right. Um, and it would but not you don't be that call difficult. Them and ask for an, oh, sorry. As you don't dare call them and ask for an update, though, because they charge you by the hour. So, you know, you're just racking up your bill by calling and asking. And nobody likes that feeling. Right. No kidding. Um, okay. So I want to go back to this, you know, keeping all the plates spinning when you're doing 1800% growth. Right. So uh, we talked about project management. Let's go to, let's go to sales for a minute. So when you, when you're like essentially like using a sales system and reinventing the sales system at the same time, any advice for, for other founders listening to the show today on that? Absolutely. Um, one, be kind to yourself. Holy man, have we all beat ourselves up being like, oh, that was a terrible idea. Why did we waste so much time on it? You got to learn at some point. And two, by the same criteria that we hire everybody else, we hire sales guys who are innovative and brilliant. And they know way more about our sales process than I do. So when we're building out new processes, sometimes some things do have to come from management, whether it's, you know, the legally required things or what have you. But then other times they have the answers. You just have to ask them for it. And one of the best things I did was, as I previously mentioned, putting a ransom on good ideas and literally paying out for every department, anybody who pitches me something epic because the sales guys themselves have built out so many of the processes, have changed so many things. I had a sales guy the other day be like, hey, I found a way to reduce our spending on HubSpot and make us more efficient by adding in this plugin that is cost less than we'd be reducing our price for in HubSpot. And I was like, amazing. I wouldn't have thought of that. But he saved us $800 a month because he's in there and he actually like- Okay, now I want to know what the program this. is. What's, right? what's the add-on? Oh my gosh. If I'm being honest, it's in my notes of things to implement this week because sure, I don't sure. have it memorized. But I'm like, 
You save me $800 a month? Okay, yes, let's go. As long as you can maintain the same level of efficiency, that's all I want. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was absolutely huge. And then also we did so much trial and error. Like we tried having external or internal SDRs to just book our sales guys' calendars. And that was absolutely amazing because one thing we did learn, and this actually came with some coaching because we did reach out for help to a professional sales coach. And we learned that you can have some people who are superheroes. They can hunt all day long. They can sell and pitch all day long. And that's just where they live. But then you have people who are inherently hunters in their DNA. They can pitch, but hunting and booking calendars and cold outreach is where their superpowers are. And other people who are just closing superhumans. We have a sales guy, Carter. He can close all day long because he's just so kind and well-spoken and knowledgeable and great at what he does. But if you ever asked him, and he's in the office next door, and he'll probably hear me through the walls. Um, if I gave him the choice of pitching all day or hunting all day, he would choose pitching every single time. So we learned to stop trying to fit square pegs into round holes. So I identify that. I think, and I also feel like it's like a, a stage. You know, when I was like 21-year-old newlywed, moved to Huntington Beach, desperate for a job, I got a job at a sales training company. And I cold called. I made 100 calls a day and I booked two appointments a day. And they were ecstatic because that was, you know, most reps were getting like an appointment every other day kind of thing. But they had a really high closing ratio and that those clients were super valuable to them. So they were happy, you know. But um, over, over time, I got out of that role, you know what I mean? And I progressed in my sales career. And even when I was like CEO of my own investment funds, I still feel like I'm just top sales guy, you know what I mean? And, and like at these different parts of our career, like we're we're not interested in being the cold caller, the obsessive emailer, like that SDR role is, it's just not appealing anymore, right? Um, I feel like it's like valuable experience, but it's like not, so sometimes it's just, it's not a wise use of time. And other times it's like a career stage. And like you said, other times it is that personality difference, right? So I, I'm interested, you've got this great closer, people love him. Talk about this, this idea of like, so we've got the folks in, Hypergen, you said in Bulgaria. So they're doing email. And then are these folks, then you have other folks who are like setting up the call, or is it straight from email to closer? What, how, what did you guys decide? It's going straight from email to closer. Um, they're honestly one of the best assets we've ever found. I actually flew to Bulgaria last month to meet them, which was incredible. But um, they charge per outreach, essentially. Um, currently, we're on 83,000 cold emails going out via them per month. And it's completely filling all four sales guys' calendars, which is just glorious. But what they do that is wonderful is one, they will write the copy, but of course they're going to take your input into it. Consent does matter. And culture, like they want to match your vibe, but they will write the copy for you. They will pull the list for you. They just ask for you to sign off on what they've pulled or what they've written or give your edits. And then as the responses come in, if, because sometimes you get somebody who's just having a grumpy day or what have you, if there's a grumpy response, my sales team never sees it, which I think is super duper important because it's so good for morale. They never see some random person responding to cold email with negativity or anything like that. That's sheltered from them. And that is one of the best bonuses in my mind. So let's say somebody listening, some CEO listening is like, okay, I think we want to do something like that. What kind of advice do you have for them on, on choosing their vendor and you know, culture with their team back and forth and just lessons you've learned um, actually making this successful? Absolutely. Our most successful partners that we've worked with over the year, year and a half 
are people that I would hire in a heartbeat. People that are the culture fit for us. Because, you know, we've worked with some companies that like, they were very nice and they were lovely, but I would never hire them. So why, not because they weren't wonderful people, but because they weren't a fit for our company. So why would I want, say, cold outreach? Why would I want somebody who's not a culture fit speaking on behalf of my company for cold outreach? It doesn't make any sense. So our long-term partners are the ones that we would literally hire in a heartbeat. We have like our go-to legal partner. I would have him full-time if we needed a full-time lawyer because he's just fabulous and wonderful and communicative and just very, very dingusy. Same with our cold outreach partners. I was drinking beers with them in Bulgaria and had like the best time. I felt like I was among friends. So I think culture fit needs to extend beyond your staff roster. Any any thoughts uh, before we switch away from sales? Any thoughts about, evol- you know, rapid, rapidly growing, evolving a sales team, hiring for a sales team, just sale, sales in a hyper growth environment? Try everything. Why not? Because worst case is if you burn one lead, yeah, that sucks, but you might strike gold. I don't want to tell you how much money singing sea shanties has made us because it's obnoxious. And that's an insanely stupid idea, but it's on brand for us and it works. So try literally everything you can think of. And the other thing that we really prioritize, and this extends outside of sales, we over the top full send celebrate every win we can. So if somebody makes a sale, it's a big deal. Even if we make eight sales in a day, Sale one and sale eight are just as big of a deal to us. If two months from now, one of Carter's clients that he closed sends a lovely message to their project manager being thankful for work we've done and celebrating it, we immediately screenshot it and we share it with that sales guy in a public forum being like, Carter, thank you for finding us such a wonderful client. Look how happy they are. Like every win to us is a huge team-wide win and it doesn't matter what category or what part of the company you're in. We have a big public forum just for wins and it's everything every little bit matters well what a fun like like it's like a virtuous cycle of positivity that ratchets up and like salespeople, you know i consider myself a lifelong salesperson okay even though my job title hasn't said sales in a lot of lot lots many many years uh we thrive on appreciation do you know what i mean look at look at what sales reps will do for a prize when like the commission completely dwarfs the, the prize or the title or the trip to Hawaii. Do you know what I mean? It's like you made 14 times that much in extra commission, but the Hawaii trip was the thing you were excited about. And like the whole, you know, being recognized and, and it's kind of like sports, like it's fun to win, right? Absolutely. And like having a whole bunch of people celebrate the win, like how motivating. It's so fun. Like, can you imagine? Because this actually happens in our chats because we have over 100 staff. I post a win that a client is thankful for something and shows out a couple staff members and 75 people comment on it saying, well done. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I'm so psyched for you. Like you get 75 pump up messages in one afternoon. It, it's nice, especially, you know, like maybe Slack you know, it wasn't or... as fun. Uh, we use Basecamp currently. We're actually in the middle okay. of building our own platform, but currently we're on Basecamp. It's funny, like bringing it back to Alberta, uh, I was telling you, I was in elementary school during the Gretzky years, right? And we would play soccer at recess at West Hosford Elementary School. Uh, but we all like were picking which Oilers player we were while we played soccer. Because you just want to be associated with the team that's winning. I love it like, that. It was like my like eight, like I died and, go, died and gone to heaven as an eight-year-old 
when I got to wear the Oilers jersey, my brother got me for Christmas, which I'm sure was my mom, but it had my brother's name on it. And our friend's dad took us to the NHL, to, to the Stanley Cup playoff game against the Blackhawks. And oh like, I just thought it was like, you know, like I, I was pretty sure I was an Oiler at that time. You know what I mean? Oh my God. And like emotions are contagious. They truly are. And like diehard Oiler fan here too, our whole team, like all of our Albertans are um, something that like, you know, you set those stretch goals for yourself. If I accomplish, and we're really big on setting like insane stretch goals around here. But one of them we set was like, if we hit XYZ financial goal by August 31st, we were going to buy two seats for season Oilers tickets. And we not only crushed the goal early, we crushed it so significantly that we got ourselves good seats. Because if I'm being honest, my stretch goal was nosebleeds. Because I was like, I just want to be in the barn, watch the game live with my jersey on. But then when we, my team got so on board behind it that we just trampled the goal over. And I was I guess we're going lower bowl, guys. Like, let's go. Nice seats. <laughs> well, okay. So my next question here is, why do you think so few businesses embrace that level of appreciation when like, you know, like to me, sales is like oxygen. Like it's not the entire purpose of life. Life just doesn't exist without it. You know, right? Uh, Absolutely. You don't what's have your a guess? What's your I guess think... on why people don't put into it what you guys put into it? I think the faster you scale, a lot of companies stereotypically forget about culture and forget about the little things. And to us, it's like, our sales team and our team in general, our people are literally everything to us. And our sales team are, like you said, our oxygen. They pay our bills at the end of the day. They bring in the clients that pay their bills so that I can pay the staff who can pay their electricity bills, pay their rent, pay for their kids' school fees. Like in, in my mind, and we express this film nonstop, our sales guys are putting food on the table of the rest of our staff, including my table. So if you lose motivation or you lose joy in that sector of the company, it's going to bleed everywhere else. Uh, well, I want to talk about this culture. So a lot of organizations that are great at sales are not great at handoffs. And the, the client feels like a million bucks right until the check clears the bank. And then all of a sudden the communication slows down, the um, that like you walk on water feeling goes away. Uh, talk to me about uh, continuing the love. Absolutely. Um, I am a stickler for building process and adapting process when it makes sense to do so. But we our handoff process has been a long time in the making. Um, back in the day when we were all in one basement, the sales guy could literally just walk up to me and be like, hey, you're onboarding this client on Tuesday. Here's everything you need to know about them. And I'd be like, sweet. Thanks, buddy. And if I had a question, I could, you know, throw a paper airplane across the room and be like, hey, how about this? We don't have that option as we've scaled internationally, but we built in such rigorous processes that honestly it's more efficient. These days, our um, sales guys, they take recordings of all of our sales meetings and they take notes. So the project manager who gets assigned this client goes into it with videos of every conversation, a written dialogue of every single conversation, a transcription, highlight notes. They have an insane background. As soon as a client pays, they receive an onboarding email, which includes a link to book their onboarding, which their first day of their first month with us will not happen until we have that onboarding meeting with them because we feel it's so important to start things off with a conversation and make sure everybody is aligned and on the same page and expectations are set. But then they also get a link to our onboarding form, which keep things concise, takes less than 10 minutes to fill out, but also gives us a lot of insights into things that we're going to need. And then we have that onboarding meeting and it's going to be the longest meeting any client ever has with us. 
it typically runs about an hour to an hour and a half. And the PM has will have a ginormous list of questions depending upon which package they signed up for. What industry do they work in? Are they a cannabis client that got our smallest package? Are they an oil and gas company that got our biggest package? They have a predetermined list that auto-populates for them depending on the package of the client so that we know going into that hour and a half meeting exactly the information we need. And we're super organized and everybody gets that same treatment of like, we're jumping on your stuff today. We're getting started today. And then from then on out, that project manager's goal is to make that person feel like that's their only client. We actually max out our project managers at less than 10 clients each. Typically, it's seven to eight most in most circumstances, unless they're a little bit more seasoned and practiced and would like more. But um, they have a very small roster and their whole job is touch base their client every single day, make sure the client is fully updated and make sure their stuff gets done correctly on time and exactly how it was requested. So having that dedicated project manager, their whole job is epic customer service. I genuinely think of them as like the servers or the bartenders of our company where they're just there to give a great experience. And that is their only mission. Um, so you probably know this book already, but a book I think you'd love. Have you heard of this book, uh, Never Lose a Customer Again? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. It is pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I actually think you don't need it, which is why you'd probably like it more than other people. But uh, I think that book's got your name all over it. Amazing. I'm going to write that down because I'm a voracious reader. I try and do 52 books a year. So I'm always bug bugging people. I'll never lose a client again. Yep. Um, what are some of your other favorites? Oh, my gosh. So um, separate, or, um, Built to Sell was definitely one of my favorites when it comes to business. When it comes to just getting your brain going and having weird ideas, I love the entire collective works of Seth Godin. He writes some really funny stuff about marketing, but still makes it super relatable. If you guys aren't familiar with his work, Purple Cow is my favorite one. The whole premise is you would never, ever tell your friends you saw a brown cow on the side of the road. Nobody cares about a brown cow. But if you saw a purple cow and told your friends, they would all immediately perk up and listen. So when we do anything with our company, apparently including my hair today because it's purple, um, we make sure that it stands out and that it's something that our clients would want to tell their friends about. And I think having that mindset 24-7 is a big part of the reason why we get so many referrals from our existing clients to new clients because we want to be that purple cow in absolutely everything we do. Uh, by the way, one more referral for you there. Uh, Seth, the best Seth Godin talk I've ever heard, he did at the Nordic Business Forum uh, maybe a year and some ago. Um, there, he did a few, like Norway and other places, but the one he did in Finland, I think is the best thing he's ever done um, as, a, as a fellow Seth Godin addict. So I love that. I just found it on YouTube. I'm definitely going to check that out today, so thank you. Okay, uh, give us one more. Another, another favorite book. Oh, one more book. Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. Honestly, I've got so many on the go right now. I don't even know if I could pinpoint another one. Those, those are my top two, if I'm being entirely honest. Yeah. Um, I'm working through a lot of them are, that are, they're a little bit less, you know, they're a little bit less exciting compared to like a golden book or a marketing book of that sort. But I've been doing a lot of operations management reading lately. And even though it's not necessarily like the most exciting book in the world, I am like an obsessive, like a note taker as I read books. So I'm like, okay, we can fix this efficiency, that efficiency, this efficiency. Okay. I like this. Um, oh, but speaking of, um, I just read A World Without Email and I loved it. I probably had like three notebook pages of notes out of A World Without Email of things that we could do better to streamline our communications. And it really talks about like how 
communicating too much is less efficient. And the recommendations they had were really good in that book. So we've covered a lot of ground here. What didn't I ask you about? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a loaded question. Oh, gosh. You're really putting me on the spot here, man. I don't, I don't have anything off the top of my head. If okay. I'm being entirely honest. I've got plenty more questions. When you, when you think about um, rapid scaling, there is so many opportunities to lose culture, uh, lose clients because things started to slip through the cracks. Uh, have, you know, friction between teams, uh, have um, uh, just like burnout. Um, thinking about all of those potential things coming at you, what have you guys found effective? Oh my gosh, that's a very loaded question. Burnout, I think, is one that like as managers, we are the biggest hypocrites for in the world because I know I am terrible for like just not logging off. I am so like if I see staff members online after 5 p.m. and all of our senior leadership do this. If I see somebody working after five, I message them immediately in a private message. I'm like, hey, why are you online? Are you overloaded? What's on your plate? What are you focusing on? What can I divert to somebody else? So that this isn't a thing you have to do as a habit. I don't want you to not have a life. Because um, my staff matter to me and I don't want them to burn out and leave. But then I think as senior leadership, we're the biggest hypocrites for that across companies, is we let ourselves never stop. I know I was, um, it was Saturday night, this Saturday night of a long weekend last weekend, and I'm, I'm doing finance stuff. I'm in QuickBooks. I'm getting ahead on payroll. I'm doing all these other things. And my husband comes up and he's like, do you want to have a glass of wine or something? Like, do you want to just not work right now? And I was like, oh yeah, I, I guess that's an option. I, I forget about more often than not. So um, something I've genuinely had to do, I'm, I, I'm glad I do it. I actually need a schedule time to not work, which sounds ridiculous to people who work like a standard nine to five but i literally like sunday afternoons my laptop does not get open sunday afternoons are for family time sunday afternoons are for fun having some wine getting outside but my computer does not exist from noon sunday until monday morning and i think booking actual rest time has been so necessary because even your scaling it's addictive I love that thrill of like hitting another financial goal. I love that thrill of hitting another like, you know, we just cracked 110 staff. Holy man, that's so cool. We created so many jobs. It's, it's addictive to me. And I love that feeling. And I would just keep going, going and keep going. But apparently sleep is something you're supposed to do. So I've started, <laughs> I'm working on it for sure. Because at the end of the day, one, I'm kind of a hypocrite if I tell my staff to log off at five and I don't because I'm doing stuff. But at the same time, um, that those startup years, you really do have to hustle, hustle. Those that first year, John and I basically slept at the office, but you got to wean yourself off of it. And I think that that's a work in progress for the rest of all of our lives. Once you get that thrill, uh, apparently, I'm a never-ending book recommender here on this one. Um, oh, amazing. So, out of like, you know, call it maybe almost 900 business books, like business marketing philosophy books, in the last. 12, 14 years. I would say the most influential one out of all 900 for me is called the 80-20 principle by Richard Koch. Oh, nice. I've heard and, of that. Uh, there's right. other things, yeah, there's other things written about the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle. People call it different things, right? Um, but to me, what, what I like the most about him, and the reason I've read the book 20-something times, is um, he 
like he built a marketing company. Sorry, he built a consulting firm. I think he sold it for, I want to say, 16 million. And then since then, working one hour a day grew that into 1.4 billion. And he just, he just lives it so much harder than anyone else who writes about it. It was like, I was, it was probably my most fanboy episode ever. I think I'm up to like maybe almost 775 episodes of the show now. That was for sure my most fanboy episode. Right? Um, and, and so what, one other thought of like to potentially get more than just Saturday afternoons with the laptop closed, you might like that one. I love that. That's a great idea. Thank you. I, uh, I'm constantly on the on planes for various work things. So I, I'm just continuously growing my library. So this is fabulous. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, this has been great for me. Hopefully you yeah, have fun too. This has been so much fun. Oh my goodness. So uh, we give everybody the website and, and the best ways to uh, follow you on social or online. Absolutely. Uh, dingusandzazzy.com. Yes, that is a real live website. Um, bonus points if you blow up my website. There's a way to do it. Trust me. Scroll down and blow up my website. Let me know what your high score was. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I believe my maiden name is still there. So it's Becca K on LinkedIn. It might be Kingsbury by the time you hear this. Um, and other than that, I'll be honest, I'm a social media ghost. So you won't find me. But if you would like terrible memes, just cringy juvenile comedy and some really adorable animals, uh, follow Dingus and Zazzy on Instagram. And mm -hmm. Something I have said recently, and I really have gotten so much value out of it. Um, I will listen to any pitch that somebody wants to throw at me because I find either I find something I need or I learn something. And I think that's super invaluable. So if you have a product, a service, a whatever, and you want to talk to me about it, shoot me a message on LinkedIn because the answer is going to be yes, absolutely. I will meet with you because the more people we know, the more pe things we can learn from one another.